Hey everybody, welcome to the Bill Young Grow Wealthy Podcast. My name is Walida Sheree. In today's episode, we have a very special guest with us today, and I want to share a little bit about him before we get started with this interview. In spite of blindness, Jim Stovall has been a national Olympic weightlifting champion, a successful investment broker, the president of the Emmy award-winning Narrative Television Network, and a highly sought-after author and platform speaker. He is the author of 40 books, including the bestseller, The Ultimate Gift, which is now a major motion picture from 20th Century Fox, starring James Garner and Abigail Breslin. Five of his other novels have also been made into movies with two more in production. Steve Forbes, president and CEO of Forbes magazine, says, quote, Jim Stovall is one of the most extraordinary men of our era, end quote. For his work in making television accessible to our nation's 13 million blind and visually impaired people, the President's Committee on Equal Opportunity selected Jim Stovall as the Entrepreneur of the Year. Jim Stovall has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Forbes Magazine, USA Today, and has been seen on Good Morning America, CNN, and CBS Evening News. He was also chosen as the International Humanitarian of the Year, joining Jimmy Carter, Nancy Reagan, and Mother Teresa as recipients of this honor. Before we get started, I want you to be mindful that our guest is blind, and this was recorded during the pandemic where we were not able to be physically in the same place. So I do apologize if there are some distortions with the audio because our guest is in Oklahoma and I'm in Texas. But please listen to the podcast all the way through because you are definitely going to pick up some gems. So I just want you all to know that just in a rare chance, the audio doesn't seem like it's us in the same room. So without further ado, let's get into this interview. How are you today, Jim? I am great, and it's wonderful to be with you. Thank you. How's 2020 been to you so far? Well, it's an interesting time, and, uh, you know, life's about decisions, and we decided to make this uh, good for us and our business here, and uh, uh, we own five different companies, and uh, uh, some of them are absolutely thriving. Uh, There's probably never been a better time to be in the book and movie business when people are sitting at home and, uh, you know, looking for things to do. And, but one of our uh, businesses is uh, arena events where I do a lot of public speaking and obviously those are shut down, but then thanks to technology and uh, some of the things there, we've been able to keep up with a lot of that. That's awesome. I really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to do this interview with me today. Because of technology, you and I are able to be in two different locations and be able to have this interview. I've written my questions down because I didn't want to forget anything, but please forgive me if I begin to get a little bit chatty because I am super excited to be doing this interview with you. I see you are an author of 40 books, and your first book is called You Don't Have to Be Blind to See. Do you mind telling us how old were you when you wrote that book and why did you write that book? Well, I was probably 30 years old. And, uh, you know, I never planned to write a book. I, as, a, as a young man, my 
sole ambition in life was to be a professional football player and the coaches and scouts and people, those sorts of things uh, assured me that I had the size and speed to do that. And I thought that was my future. And then during a routine physical to go play another season of football, I was diagnosed with a condition. So I figured I better, uh, I better go do something else and uh, found uh, Olympic weightlifting. And I got to finish my career doing that. And then a decade of the I slowly did lose my sight. And uh, nine, I was totally blind. And I have been that way for 30 years now. And, um, and one of the things that happened to me after I lost my sight, I moved into this little nine by 12 foot room in the back of my house. Uh, I thought I would never leave again. The thought of running a television network with over a thousand stations or writing 40 books or having eight movies made based on those or, or arena events speaking to a million people a year and uh, arena events around the world. We're talking to you and your audience on this podcast. That would have seemed as impossible to me as, as going to the moon. And I sat in my little room. I thought I would never leave again. And uh, uh, through a series of circumstances, I finally worked my way out of there. But before I had lost my sight, that was our television room. And I knew over in the corner was a TV and a video player and uh, some of my favorite movies. And one day I just put one on and I thought I'll be able to follow this. And uh, it worked for a while, but then I got really frustrated. And I said, somebody ought to do something about that. And that was the beginning of my that opportunities come disguised as problems. And out of that, I developed the Narrative Television Network. We won an Emmy Award for our first season on national television. And I was asked to speak at the National Association of Broadcasters, which I did. And that got me more and more speaking engagements. And I found myself on the West Coast during a, doing an arena tour with two other arena speakers. And they twisted my arm to write a book. And so I wrote, you don't have to be blind to see. And it was my journey of losing my sight and what I learned through the process of building my television business and how that worked. And uh, that was the beginning of everything. So I, I really never thought I would write a book and certainly didn't think I would write 40 and uh, and then be in the movie business because uh, few things are more absurd than writing books you can't read that are turned into movies you can't watch. So you know, that for me is just such a big deal. And it's an anomaly in my life. So you said you were 29 when you went fully blind. Did you always know that they would come or did it sneak up on you by surprise? How old were you when you lost your sight? I was diagnosed when I was almost 18 years old and uh, college. And, uh, and then it took, uh, like I said, close to 10 years before I went totally blind. So you lost your sight. Do you think there's a difference between sight and vision? How would you describe the difference between you losing sight and gaining vision? Well, there's a huge difference between sight and vision. Sight tells you where you are and what's around you. It's a very handy thing to have. I had it for the first part of my life. And sight's a wonderful thing because it tells you where you are and what's around you. Vision tells you where you could be and what's possible. And as wonderful as sight is, vision is infinitely more valuable. And I started getting vision when I was in that little nine by 12 foot room and, uh, and uh, started thinking about getting out of there and creating a life for myself. And 
all the things that have happened to me. And over these last years, I, you know, I, I feel really lucky. I don't know anybody I would trade places with. I love my life. I love everything I get to do. And uh, it, it's just a privilege. I agree. I think as millennials, sometimes we confuse the difference between sight and vision. We believe because we see things that things are exactly the way they are. But like you said, vision helps you to see beyond that. You mentioned you found your vision sitting inside of your 9 by 12 room. In the case of someone like myself or people who may be listening, what would you suggest on how we could find the vision for our lives? I think when you seek vision, you eliminate the barriers in your life. And you start to think about the things I call what if. And what if money were no object? What if you had a million dollars or $10 million? Uh, what if time were no object? What if you had all the contacts in the world and could call anybody you want? What if those things were true? What would you be doing in your life? And then the question is, why aren't you now? Because uh, those things are readily available to anyone. I, I, I wrote a book that was turned into a movie with Academy Award winner Louis Gossett Jr., and it's called The Lamp, and it's about a a $3 garage lamp that uh, uh, turns into magic, and it gives this couple three choices of anything they ever wanted that they couldn't get on their own. So they chose they wanted to have a million dollars, have careers they enjoyed, and a great relationship. But through the process of this story, they found they could have had those anytime they wanted. It was just a matter of having vision and, uh, and, and pursuing those things. So, you know, I believe that's true for everybody. I, I, you know, you, you know, people say, well, I'll believe it when I see it. No, you'll see it when you believe it. And, uh, mm-hmm. and that's the difference between sight and vision. Okay. So with vision, you are not only just a nationally acclaimed author, but you are also a national Olympic weightlifting champion. At what point did you know that you were going to be a champion? Well, I had a fascinating experience. After I was diagnosed, I was going to lose my sight. That was the first fall in, in that I could remember. I wasn't playing football. And the state fair comes to my town every year. And so I decided while I can still see and do some things, I'd go to the state fair. And while I was there, they had an exhibition from the previous Olympic Games. And they had the gymnasts and everything else. And to be honest with you and your audience, I went over to look at the girls, the gymnasts, and I thought that would be kind of cool. And uh, but while I was there, then they brought out the weightlifters and I saw that that's something I could do, even if my eyesight was fading away. And so that was the beginning of um, of that part of my life. So it all started off at the fair. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard of or either been to the Texas State Fair, but they have everything there. Um, it wasn't open this year because of COVID, but on the normal years, it is jam-packed with almost anything imaginable and every food imaginable that you can think of. So for those of you who are listening, if you are looking for inspiration to show you a pathway that you could potentially take to hopefully find some vision, maybe you should begin with your state fair like Jim Stovall did. For you, Jim, you actually got pretty lucky in that you stumbled upon wrestling, took the initiative to give it a try, and you actually became good at it. For many of us, we may stumble across things that we think we might be good at, 
and we give it a shot and we absolutely suck at it. So it is actually a blessing in that that actually worked out for you. Most people are playing the wrong game and, uh, you know, they're pursuing the wrong thing. Uh, I was an athlete at uh, I'm almost the same age as Michael Jordan. So we were athletes at the same time. If if Michael had called me and said, Jim, why don't we play one on one? I would agree. I'll play you one on one, but we're not going to play basketball where you're the greatest player in the world. And we're not going to play baseball where you were a minor league baseball player. We're going to have a weightlifting competition or we're going to arm wrestle. We're going to do something like that. And then, uh, you know, then the headline will read Stovall beats Jordan one on one because, you know, all opportunities are not created equal for all people. You got to find the thing that fits you. And it's like putting your foot in your shoe. It it, it just works. And, uh, you know, too many people are, you know, that they're going through life with their left hand or they're, they're, they're doing things awkward for themselves because they're not pursuing that is their passion and is their strength. I had to find out the hard way what my passions and my strengths were. I wanted to be an architectural engineer, but I found out that you had to have some type of concept of design, which I absolutely did not have that. No matter how passionate I thought I was about being an architectural engineer, it just wasn't practical for me to continue on with that major, considering I wasn't willing to put in the work. So that's when I realized that my passion and my vision in that way was not aligned. Not only are you a best-selling author, a national weightlifting champion, but you are also an investment broker. So I want you to kind of fill us in on how that world was, because that seems slightly different than everything else that we mentioned thus far. After my weightlifting career, I had the opportunity to do several things. And one is I, I had the opportunity to open my own office, a uh, member of New York Stock Exchange firm. So you know, we sold stocks and options, uh, commodities and all the, you know, I, the financial world. And that's an important thing. We all uh, succeed or fail to a certain extent in that financial world. I mean, no matter what you do, sooner or later, you have to deal with, uh, with the financial elements of life. And it was a great training ground for me. And I, and I still have the privilege of working with a lot of uh, extremely wealthy families and organizations on managing their money because, uh, uh, you know, how we manage money uh, creates the life that we can live. I mean, money is nothing more than a tool. And, uh, you know, we want to make sure it works as hard for us as we worked for it. Was your experience as an investment broker the reason why you wrote the book Millionaire Map? Yeah, I think some. I mean, that book for me was my own journey from poverty to prosperity. And, you know, you've never met anybody more broke and scared and disabled and blind. And I mean, I didn't have anything, you know, and one of the things I wrote when I started that book is don't ever take advice from anybody that doesn't have what you want. Because the world is full of people out there that want to tell you how to do things they've never done. And, uh, Unfortunately, in many cases, they want to sell you that information. And you, you have to be very, very careful because they'll waste your money. And what's worse than that, they'll waste your time. And 
I remember after I wrote that, uh, don't ever take advice from anybody that doesn't have what you want. I had to go home and talk to my wife and my family. And I said, guys, you know, I just wrote something today. And if we really believe this, I'm going to do something very uncomfortable. And I got Bank of America and Merrill Lynch to, uh, to do an audited financial statement for me. And we printed that in the book. It shows that, uh, you know, not my businesses, not my television network, not my books, not my movies, just just cash on in the investments that we hold in excess of $10 million. And I want my readers and the people I advise to know that I'm a guy that started with nothing and I have no debt. And and uh, that is the result of it. And I think anybody you're you're talking to needs to be a product of what it is they're trying to sell you. So uh, um, don't take advice from broke financial planners or, you know, don't take fitness advice from out of shape fitness instructors. It just, you know, it just only makes sense. But so often, um, you know, people are taking advice from the wrong people. I agree. That is pretty much the reason why I wanted to have you on this podcast episode because I felt like you were more qualified to talk about the area of wealth obtained already than I am. Um, I can teach I can teach people how to manage their money. I can teach people how to control and how to protect their money. But when it comes to actually amassing great wealth, I'm still on my journey to get there. And that is why I really thought it was important to have you on the podcast when I read that in your book. You are probably the only person I know who was very transparent and showing what it is that you had in your bank account, because it is important that we know exactly where we should strive and if the people we're taking advice from is able to get us there. So I know you didn't have to do that, but I thank you for doing that because it did help me to have comfort in knowing that you're not just talking the talk, but you are also walking the walk. For those of you listening, I do have a confession to make. So Jim Stovall's book, The Millionaire Map, was sitting on my bookshelf for a few years before I actually picked it up. So please don't be like me because there are probably some gems on your bookshelf right now. But if you've escaped over it or if you just decided, yeah, I don't think I'm going to open that book, you have no idea how much knowledge you could be losing out on. So I am so embarrassed to say that it took me so long to read that book but nonetheless I did read it and I did apply the information in the book and here I am on this podcast speaking with the wonderful Jim Stovall. What I like about your story Jim is that you didn't start off rich just like me so I feel like you were very relatable when I read your book because it made me know that anything is possible. The part of your story that touched me the most is when you were talking about the situation when you and your wife were inside of the grocery store and you are were trying to buy groceries and you realized that you didn't have money to buy the groceries or have enough money to buy the groceries and you pretty much vowed that day that you were not going to be like that ever again so do you mind telling us a little bit more about that story we were young newlyweds and we would go to the grocery store every week and you know i had whatever cash I had in my pocket. And that was all the money we had. So we had a little calculator there and we would go around it. As we put things in the cart, we would add it up to make sure we had enough money. Well, on this one particular trip to the store, we misfigured. And 
right there in front of the line and the lady where we're checking out and neighbors and people around. Crystal had to go put a loaf of bread back because we didn't have enough money. And there was something about that moment uh, that made me know, okay, that's it. I am sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I just, I don't want to be poor anymore. I never want to have that feeling again. And uh, that for me was the beginning. Everybody that makes a transition in their life at some time hits bottom. You know, people who have addiction problems, they have to hit the bottom. And then, and then they can start to rebuild their life. And that's true in any area of life where you want to make a transformation. And for me, standing right there in the checkout line of that grocery store, that was the beginning of, I'm not going to be poor anymore. And, uh, you know, and there hasn't been a, oh, there hasn't been a time in 20 years, 25 years, I've thought about money. I don't even think about money anymore. Uh, you know, I think about what do I want to do with my time. Uh, the money keeps growing. I mean, the money, my the money makes more money than I need. I, our our biggest function now is we give money away. I, uh, you know, my latest book that's out is called The Gift of Giving, and that's just all about the millions of dollars we've given away um, to things that matter to us. And and um, you know, so more and more, uh, money's not about what I make and spend or invest, it's mostly what we give away now. But that was all because of one decision that you pointed out there in the, in the grocery store where I just decided I'm not going to be poor anymore. I really appreciate you sharing that story with us. So after you and your wife, Crystal, had that experience at the grocery store, you later became a millionaire. And from there, you ended up writing the book, The Ultimate Gift. What happened in your life to inspire you to write that book? That's a great question. I, as I told you, I, I wrote, you don't have to be blind to see because I'd been a part of this speaking tour and a couple of my colleagues really pressured me to write a book. So I did and it sold well and the publishers wanted another book. So I wrote success secrets in the way I see the world and great American success stories. And, you know, I had written everything I knew and a few things I only kind of suspected. So when the publishers called and they said, Jim, we want another book. I figure I better make up a story because I'd written everything I knew to write at that time. So I decided I'm going to write a novel. I'm going to make up a story. And, you know, that first day I came into the office where I'm speaking to you from here today. And um, there's a lady here in my office that I dictate all of my books and my syndicated newspaper column. Everything I write, I dictate just like I'm talking to you now. And so that first day, the only thing I had in my mind was the first line of that book, which says, it was my 80th year of life on earth and my 53rd year in the practice of the law that I was to undertake an odyssey that would change my existence forever. And I had Dorothy read me that back. And I thought, now that sounds good. I I wonder who wrote that and who said that, what's he talking about? And over the next five days, between my meetings and phone calls here at the television network, I wrote The Ultimate Gift. And there's never been an edit or a rewrite. The the way I dictated it over those five days is the way that uh, millions of people around the the world have read that book. But more importantly than that, that was my first movie. The 20th Century Fox came to me and wanted to make a movie of that. And it turned into a trilogy of movies and a number of books and 
now there have been eight movies and more coming. And um, so, you know, that was a big change for me going from writing my own story or, or, you know, writing nonfiction to actually writing a novel and making a movie. So that was a big change in my life. Well, I can tell you, I really appreciated reading that book. And I also saw the movie. For those of you listening, I highly recommend you read his book, The Ultimate Gift, and check out his movie, The Ultimate Gift, which I saw it on Amazon Prime, but I'm not sure all the platforms is viewed on, but it is absolutely amazing. And like he said, he wrote it in five days. And me as a writer, it is so impressive to see how he was able to um, ignite my imagination. And he just had it done in five days. So if you haven't, definitely go check it out and tell a friend as well. Watch the movie scene near the end of the movie, Driver. That's me. I I play I play a little part in all of my movies. <laughs> and I think I've been the limo driver five times in movies because uh, when they first asked me to do a part in the film, I said, I'll play anything but a blind guy. I don't want to be a blind guy. And so I had the script and I said, uh, okay, I'll be this limo here and uh, I'm going to be a blind guy. So I have been the limo driver in five movies. I was a bartender in one. And uh, so it, it, it's been fun to do that. And, uh, you know, and like I usually have one line or two lines in a movie. It's not like I'm, I'm certainly not an actor, but uh, it's, it's, it's fun to be a part of those. I saw you um, when he got out the car. Yeah. I was like, wait, that's Jim. <laughs> there, there's a classic director named Alfred Hitchcock, and he did that in all of his films. So I thought this would be a fun thing to do. And, uh, and uh, you know, I, I never be as many movies as there are. When I first did The Ultimate Gift, I thought, well, this is my one time to do a movie. I may as well do a part. And now we've been in all of them. So it's fun. So basically, those of you who are listening, you can find Jim in his movies, and he's more than likely going to be the limo driver. But like he said, he's played the bartender um, in a few of his movies as well. But his key role in most of his movies is the limo driver. So be sure to look out for him when you check out his movies. Outside of The Ultimate Gift, I've also read your book, The Wisdom of Winners. So do you mind telling us about that book? After that first book came out, I told you about, the editor of the business journal in my town called me and they said, would you like write a column? I said, what's a column? And they said, you know, write 700 words to 1,000 words of anything you want to talk about. I did and sent it over. And he said, wow, this is good. Well, after a while, I started getting other newspapers and magazines and online publications. And now there are hundreds of publications throughout North America and Europe and Asia that carry my column every week. And uh, and I've been doing it for over 20 years. So I've written over a thousand columns. And, you know, it, what's interesting is when I first started, I thought I'll never be able to come up with something to write every week. But ironically, when I hear something in the news or I think of something, I'll put it on our column list. And right now there are probably several on the column list. I haven't had time to write about yet. So, uh, you know, you never run out of things, particularly if you're looking for them. And, uh, well, after those appeared in the in the uh, newspapers and magazines, uh, a friend of mine at the Napoleon Hill Foundation, he said, what do you do with those columns when you're done with them? 
And I said, nothing. And he said, how would you feel if we put them into books and all of the money would go to provide scholarships for young people going to college? Well, what's been great about it? I mean, they took something I, I wasn't even using. And thus far, it's filled five books that it's sold around the world. And all the money has gone to you know, help young people going to college. So it's been a great deal. And, uh, and uh, that's like the book you have there. So I want to just read for you guys um, one of his segments. It's called Writing Your Own Obituary. And I really like this, especially because of the times that we're living in now, I think that we should um, make the most of out of what life has given us and just know that one day we're going to die. And how do we want to be perceived after death? So it says, for those of you who are consistent readers of this regular offering, realize that I rarely recommend specific books. Instead, I encourage people to read those books that will help them in the pursuit of their own passion. However, recently I have completed both of Tom Brokaw's books, Dealing with the Depression and World War II Era, The Greatest Generation and The Greatest Generation Speaks. Those of you who lived through those times or were raised by someone who did We'll find both books a wonderful and refreshing trip through the best and worst of times. For those of you of more recent vintage, you will discover a generation of people who shape the world we live in today through their character, integrity, and determination. As you experience the various stories, stories of people affected by the Depression and the Second World War, you will be struck by the fact that they did not realize they were living through history. They felt they were just simple people doing their jobs. As we go through our day-to-day -day activities, we too often fail to realize the significance of the time and place in which we live. Each of us every day is living out our own biography. We rarely think of this this way until we read a friend's or a loved one's obituary. Then the span of a lifetime is put into a manageable perspective. How would you live your life differently today if you knew that it would become a permanent part of history or at least be read as your obituary by your loved ones at the end of your life. Think of things in the day-to-day -day ebb and flow as permanent signposts along the course of history. You never know which may be significant intersections until you are far beyond the point where you could do anything to change it. Assume that every activity in which you choose to invest your effort is of powerful and significant importance. When you take care of the little details, the big things automatically fall into place. If you do not feel that kind of passion or importance for the things you do on a daily basis, either find something new to do or a new attitude about the course you are on. There will come a day when people read your obituary and consider the mark you have made in this world. On that day, it will be too late to make a difference. Make your mark while you can. In my obituary, I want to be rem remembered for something. I want to be remembered for helping people to, millennials specifically, to help control, protect, and grow their income so that we can focus more on our purpose and not concentrate more on a day-to-day -day monotonous task of just trying to make money. With that being said, what do you want your legacy to be, Jim? Mission statement came to me from my grandmother. Late in her life, she was uh, very, very ill. and. We'd had a, a fascinating experience. When I lost my sight, I went to her city and I sat down with her and I told her I'm gonna be blind. And, and uh, 
she was quite emotional about it. And the next day she said, we need to talk about this. She said, I've already talked to your grandfather. And, you know, once my flowers bloom this spring, one more time, I want to look at them. And then I want to go to that doctor of yours and have him take out my eyes and give them to you. Now, she didn't know that was not medically possible. But even if it had been possible, she gave me something much more valuable which was to know that somebody that amazing cared that much about me. Well, late in her life, she was very, very ill. And I uh, came to see her and the, the nurses and the doctors, everybody was there. And, and uh, one of the nurses says, your, your grandmother's so proud of you and what you do. And I said, I don't even think she knows what I do. And she said, oh, yeah. She said, everybody that comes into this room, she shows them the picture of you holding your Emmy Award there. It's on her bedside table, and she shows that to everybody, and she said, that's my grandson. He does two things. He helps blind people see television, and he goes around the world telling people they can have good things in their life. And, you know, and if I live to be 100, that's what I'll be doing on that day. I mean, you know, there's a big thing in corporate America where companies have to have a mission statement, and that's probably a good idea, but I think it's much more important that you and I have a mission statement and we know what what it is we're doing because that's us writing our own obituary. And, you know, life, you never know what's going to matter. You never know when you're going to meet that significant person that's going to change your personal or your professional life. You never know when that next encounter, that next meeting, that next task is going to change everything. And uh, uh, my late great friend and mentor, Coach John Wooden, who died four months before he was 100 years old, he used to tell me and then all of his ball players, before you do anything, ask yourself one question. What would I do right now if I were amazing? Not adequate, not okay, not good enough. But what would I do right now if I were amazing? And, uh, and if you live your life that way, you'll have amazing days and amazing weeks and amazing months. And before you know it, you got a pretty amazing life. For those of you that do not know, John Wooden was one of the greatest basketball coaches of all time. So we're getting close to the end here, and I just have a few remaining questions left. Do you mind sharing with us how you met your wife, Crystal, and how she's contributed to your success? I met in college, and, the uh, and in the university, I was the first blind student they'd ever had at the university, and they didn't know what to do with me, so they, they hired certain kids or gave them scholarships to read my textbooks for me. And once I met Crystal, I just decided this is good. You know, I went to the dean and I said, uh, we're not going to need anybody else. She's she's going to be all I need. And uh, we took all the same classes and uh, she read all my books for me. And uh, ironically, she graduated first in our class and I graduated second. And uh, for a competitive guy like me, that was kind of tough to handle. But uh, over the last few years, I've kind of developed my own egotistical theory on that. You see, I'm not sure she read me the whole book. I have no evidence. I have no evidence to support that, but it makes me feel better. So um, I think maybe she left out just enough so she could be first. And obviously that that didn't happen. But hey, you know, we, we all have to maintain our own uh, our own fantasies there. But uh, that's how we met. And, you know, and I told her, if you'll help me get my company started, as soon as I'm able, then uh, to go, to go it alone, I'll get other people that'll help me, and you can do anything you want for the rest of your life. And and uh, and that has worked out well. I mean, she worked day and night with me in the beginning, and then 
once we got to the point where I could bring in other I work with, who has her own life. She's been several weeks. Yeah, I mean, she she just has a great life. That's amazing. Well, I've really learned so much about you today, and I have learned things that I can apply to my life, and I hope my listeners have also learned things that they can apply to their lives. But you have such a fascinating story, and I thank you so much for coming on the show today to share that with us. Do you have any final words that you would like to share with the audience? And also, do you mind sharing with us how the audience can connect with you? I mean, you are doing amazing things to change the world. And you read my books and I have 10 million books in print. My phone numbers in all of them or my email address. And uh, and uh, but every once in a while, there are just very special people like you that reach out to me. And uh, and I appreciate that because you have a real vision for your audience and what it is you want to do. So I want to thank you for that. Anytime anybody wants to get a hold of me, uh, you can go to Jim Stovall, S-T-O-V-A-L-L, jimstovall.com. And I'm not that hard to find. And, you know, if you wanted to read some of my books, the uh, the two, uh, fiction and nonfiction, I think the two, the millionaire map is to start and the ultimate and uh, read that book or watch the movie. And uh, definitely don't miss the limo driver. Thank you so much, Jim, for being a guest on today's podcast episode. I really appreciate you coming on and giving us so much of your wisdom and experiences. And I look forward to also keeping in contact with you after the show. I want to say thank you to all of my listeners that made it to the end of this podcast episode. You are so much appreciated. If you would like content like this, please consider subscribing. Share this episode with everyone you know. And until next time, I will talk to you later. We'll